And we are still in our little mini-series this summer called Time for a Change. And today we're going to be talking about something called changing how you relate to difficult people. Notice how I've written that, and I did find out that that little tent-looking marking is called a carrot. I admit it. And uh, when we put the carrot there, that means in editing you're going to put something else that you're going to add to that sentence. Because we would tend to think that we want to change difficult people. But when we look into God's Word, and especially as we look at all that Jesus wants to do when He's changing us, like I say, He grabs our finger, He turns it around, He points it squarely back at ourselves, and He's showing us how we can change what needs to be changed in us so that we change how we're relating to the crazy makers in our life, to the difficult people that are there. Okay, raise of hands, please. I will allow that this time. <clears throat> Sometimes I don't want that because it's embarrassing, but it's okay. How many of you have said at one time or another, oh, that person just makes me crazy? Anybody? All right, yeah, a raise of hands is fine. No pointing, please. <laughs> in this series, I would like to look at those people Today, we're going to focus on those people that can just drive us crazy. I'm sure we've all got them, and I'm sure that we've all thought, man, they really need to change. And instead of talking about how we can change them, let's see what God might have in store as he changes us and how we relate to them. Remember that I've said that we have different purposes of our church, and we're trying to show how we're fulfilling different purposes. And in this little mini-series, I've really been camping out in the discipleship purpose, growing in spiritual maturity. Because I've known people who have memorized far more Scripture than I've got in my pea brain, and they could spout Scripture verse after Scripture verse. But the character just didn't match what was there intellectually. There was head knowledge but there wasn't character that had been transformed so that you could see that being fleshed out in their life, which is why we want to really become doers of the Word and not just hearers only. So that's a part of where we're headed, just to get that in context with why we're spending this much time on looking at what God wants to do in terms of the change inside of us. As we get to know Jesus and as His Spirit starts to do that transforming work, we're going to start acting on what we know to be true and as we do that, we start to feel more and more like it's normal. When it first starts out, we feel foreign, and it feels like, oh, why is that so different? We talked about that last week, the old nature versus the new nature. So we're talking about how God continues to draw us more and more into that new nature that he gives believers. So let's look at five types of crazy makers. There are more, but these are simple ones based on commonalities that we see in a lot of folks, based on some common behaviors. First of all, we see the tyrant. These are those little Napoleonic people who are just tyrants. They're dictators. They're the bossy, pushy, intimidating types. They turn every conversation into a contest because they love to win. And they have learned the fine art of debating so that they can run you into the ground because they feel better about themselves if they can win. They enjoy a debate. They enjoy controlling a conversation. And quite frankly, they just enjoy control in general. They are bubble bursters. They're raining on your paraders. They cut you down so that they can feel a little bit better about themselves because they just need power. That's what they think they need anyway. Have you known any tyrants? Have you known any of those little dictators in your life? Don't they just drive you crazy? <laughs> Second 
type of crazy maker is the disapprover. Now, they might see themselves as fastidious, and they'll say, I just see the finer things in life, and I've learned about nuance and detail, and I like to do things right. And I'm a perfectionist because we want to do things right. You know some of those folks, other people would look at them and say, yeah, they're just nitpicky. If you do a job and it's 99% there, you know what the disapprover's going to do? They won't say, you did a great job on this 99%. Now, let's work on this one last little bit and take it right over the top. The first thing that comes out of their mouth is, oh, that's wrong. They want to point out the one nitpicky little thing that's wrong rather than seeing 99% of all that's gone really well. And when you're around a disapprover, I don't know if you felt this or not, when you've been around a disapprover, it kind of feels like, you know, why do I even try? Because I'm never going to please them because everything I do is not quite good enough and if they're going to demand this much of me, I just don't even know if I should even try. Don't they just drive you crazy? It's okay if you say yes. Okay. The demolisher, number three, the demolisher. These folks haven't learned how to put a leash on their anger. They just let it right out. And the demolishers are destroyers. They just come at things like a bulldozer or like a wrecking ball. And if you're trying to stay far enough away from them, you can feel like all you do all the time around a demolisher is to walk on eggshells and you have very little interaction with them, as little as possible, because you just don't want to be around that kind of demolishing negative energy. I had a friend of mine from college. He got a part-time job while he was going to school and he was cleaning up houses for a company that would either fix up rental houses so they could re-rent them or they would flip them. They would fix the house up and then sell it for an increase in value. And he went into this one house and he said, I'm going to need help on this one. Do you want to split the difference on what I'm going to make and you can help me? And I said, sure, because I needed extra bucks. So we went into this house and it just hurt your heart. There had obviously been a demolisher living in that house. Everything had been demolished. Mattresses had been slashed with a butcher knife. Things had either been kicked or hammered into the walls so that there were holes everywhere. Uh, some of the cabinetry in the kitchen had literally been just pulled right off the hinges. It was awful. They broke light bulbs. They broke lamps. And they'd left it. It seems like it was probably a scary ordeal so that whoever had been there just left. And they left everything in it, all their possessions. And they just had to get out. And I thought, what in the world was going on inside the mind of this person who had that much rage? It just hurt to think of somebody who had that much rage there. What happens when we see a demolisher is that we learn coping mechanisms. And we're going to talk a little bit about how we can start dealing with this, not only today, but this has to be a two-parter, because as I got into it, I realized I need to spend more time on some of the how we respond to these types. So we're going to cover two points today and then three more next week. The megaphone, number four of the crazy makers in our lives, they are the ones who kind of make you want to hold your fingers in your ears, because they're just plain loud. And not only do they crank up the volume to 11, so that makes you feel like your ears are going to bleed, but they also don't seem to know when to catch a breath so that they can let you weigh in on the conversation. They use up all the oxygen in the room, and the only way you can sort of end a conversation is to basically just wave a white flag and surrender. Years ago, I worked for a guy like that. 
He was actually a pastor, but he was this loud, boisterous person who would talk me into surrender all the time. And I felt like I don't ever feel like that I've been able to weigh into this conversation so that he's encouraging me to come up with some of my input or some of my ideas. There was no collaboration. It was my way or the highway, and that's it. And I felt like the only way for me to escape that was to literally escape. And so I decided I'm just going to have to distance myself from this relationship because I just can't seem to win. And I can't seem for him to understand that. Now, God has a great sense of humor because he's the same guy that led, years later, he got involved with uh, a different ministry in a different state. And I'll fill you in on the rest of that story when we get into a list. This is just a, this is called the carrot, but it's not this carrot. <laughs> This is the kind of carrot that's supposed to be dangling in front of you so that you'll pay attention and you'll still be awake in about five minutes when I get to that. All right, the whiner is number five type of the crazy makers. These are the crybabies because they just whine about everything. And of course, you've got to put it right up into the schnoz and get it real nasal. Oh, I'm not a whiner. But that's the whiner. They're just so discontent that they just can't seem to find stuff worth celebrating. And these are the folks who have learned that they can get attention by whining. It might not be good attention, but hey, if they got no other kind of attention when they were growing up, bad attention is at least attention. And so that's just what they do. They just complain about everything all the time, no matter who's with And they just make you want to go crazy. Well, let's look at some biblical principles and steps to dealing with some of these folks. Now that you probably have at least a couple of people in mind, I went through a little bit in my brain, and I came up with about three that came to my mind as I was going through that list this week. I want to start talking about biblical principles that God would help us learn how to relate differently to these people than we may have related. And there are going to be five steps, two today, three next week. Each step becomes a little bit more difficult, by the way. Um, I don't know this firsthand, so I'm just talking to other people who have done that. Pierce is not here today because they're traveling. But if you want to talk to somebody about rock climbing, you can talk to Pierce. Because he knows that there are different levels of difficulty, and each challenge kicks it up a notch. So that you see these boulder climbers and they're up there on a cliff and they're 200 feet above the ground and they're actually hanging below a boulder and they find a way to somehow become a contortionist and pull their way around and up over the top of that stuff. That's an impossible situation. So that would be a really high level. So this is the good news, bad news part of today. The good news is God gives us the ability to go through all five of these steps. The bad news is they're really tough. And they get harder. The first couple are difficult, but by the time we get to number five, you're going to be going, Ooh, I need practice. And that's kind of the point. So let's look at these. Step one, first of all, be the adult in the room with the crazy maker in your life. Don't act offended, even though you may be feeling offended on the inside. Don't act offended outwardly. Hold it to yourself. Be objective. Observe them, find out, wonder what's going on inside them that would cause them to act this way. It takes a lot of maturity to do that, let me tell you. It takes a lot of self-control. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of forbearance. In other words, it takes the fruit of the Spirit. And even if deep inside I have taken offense at somebody, and this happens all the time in our world, 
if I'm going to act on God's wisdom, then if I get enough of Jesus' word in my brain, like we've been talking about, then you start fleshing it out by allowing him to think, okay, how would God handle this? This is one of those fruits of the Spirit moments where Jesus would do it this way. And then we can start becoming the adult in the room rather than matching that same energy and just retaliating for every retaliation. Because things go south in a hurry if every reaction is an overreaction to their overreaction. Rude behavior reveals more about what's inside them than what's inside you. And if you see somebody who's just acting so rudely or without any regard for what you may be feeling at that time, it's probably some deep-seated pain behind that and some insecurity in their own life. Because insecure people will put up this great wall of bravado, and they can really come on strong, but really that's just an indication that probably there's a ton of insecurity going on inside. So you need to say, okay, what's going on inside them? Lord, help me to pray for them and to pray for the right way to respond to this crazy maker. Now, I'm not saying that there should be uh, nothing that we're offended at. There should be some things that we are all offended at. We ought to be offended at the things that offend God. I'm offended when I see people being unjustly treated, especially those that are marginalized or who can't speak up for themselves. I'm offended when free speech is completely just trampled upon and people can't have an actual nuanced conversation about differences of opinion. That offends me, and I think it ought to offend the rest of us as well. There are certain things that ought to offend us, but I'm talking about personal relationships where we can make a difference, including those people who are starting to try to make these kinds of things happen in our world today. If we don't change so that we can help change them by introducing us to the one who is the agent of change, then nothing's going to change about these things that offend us. It's got to start with relationships. So in a relational situation where we have a chance to make a difference in a crazy maker's life, we have been given, we believers have been given a God-given ability to exercise self-control and patience and goodness and kindness and to love these people long enough to start showing them what grace looks like. And it's amazing what can happen when grace gets involved. Now, you contrast an adult in the room who's got some spiritual maturity with a whiner. The whiners are so thin-skinned that they become offended at anything. Every little thing, you know, you could hear a pin drop. Ah! They just start whining. So the adult in the room means that we have graduated in our maturity level with Christ enough to say, okay, I'm going to take a breath, and I'm going to see how I'm going to become the adult in the room in this situation. We're supposed to grow up like that. Paul says so. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. I think this actually applies to personality traits and how we relate to other people. We don't have to be offended by every difference of opinion we encounter. In fact, we can express a difference of opinion and do so respectfully. Joy and I had a really nice dinner conversation when we went up to the UP on one of our little getaway trips. I think this was last year. And we were having a really good spirited conversation around the dinner table with a young couple. And Joy had made a comment, I made a comment, and then the young man said, um, counterpoint, what if, and he weighed in with a different thing. He was very respectful, but he was helping us see that particular issue from a different perspective. And I said, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way before. That was a very respectful way to do that. Thank you. 
That's maturity. That's being the adult in the room. And that's what we want to aim for. That's what talks about spiritual maturity that helps us relate differently to people rather than just being so offended that we pop off instantly and start whining because we're offended by everything. So let me say this again. This is so good. I, I like this. Your spiritual maturity can be measured by how you treat the people who are mistreating you. I'm going to read it slowly so you can let it sink in. Your spiritual maturity can be measured by how you treat the people who are mistreating you. That's a good gauge for how mature we have become in our spiritual walk. Relationally, things go south when we go reverting back into being a, a spiritual baby. And we're just popping up because we're so thin-skinned that we react in our fleshly or old nature. But if we're spiritually mature, we're starting to make a difference because we become the spiritual adult in the room. How do we thicken our skin? This is the difficulty because we think, well, I don't want to become calloused. That's not the kind of thick skin I'm talking about. I'm talking about not becoming such a snowflake that we melt anytime anybody disagrees with us about anything. How do we become more thick-skinned in a good way? Well, you can say, Lord, give me a tender heart and a thicker skin, both at the same time. Proverb 19.11 says, Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking an offense or overlooking a wrong. You can pray. Oh, in the New English translation, look at that first part of there. In the New English, it says, A person's wisdom has made him slow to anger. We've been talking about how do we get God's wisdom? We put more of the Bible's words, Jesus' words, into our minds, and that starts to take hold with God's wisdom as it becomes fleshed out. It makes us slow to anger. That means that we're becoming spiritually mature enough that we don't have to become offended at every little tiny thing, and we can become the adult in the room. So we need to be praying, God, help me to become more sensible so that you will supply me with your wisdom so that it will help me control those impulsive desires to just pop off instantly and retaliate based on the energy that I feel is going on in this relationship right now. Help me to become the adult in the room. And I mentioned last week, and I'm being honest with you, I have not perfected these yet. He who began that good work in me will be faithful to complete it, but this is why it takes practice, because we're all going to have those times when we think, uh-oh, I didn't do that so well this time. So what do we do? Give up? No. We say, okay, God, make that a teachable moment. Help me to learn from it. Help me reset. Help me to catch it quicker next time so that I don't keep getting into this situation every time this happens. God wants to soften that heart of stone in us, that one that's caused by offenses because of our fleshly nature, because we'll harden our heart and our skin gets thin and we don't want that. We want the opposite. But God wants to soften that heart. It says so in Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart. I'll give you new and right desire. And put a new spirit within you. I'll take out your stony hearts of sin and give you new hearts of love. That's what we're asking Jesus to do in us so that we can deal with the crazy makers in our life. And I would like for us to stop after point one and just pray for this one specific aspect. Let's pray for God to help remove the stony heart, replace it with a tender heart, and give us a thick enough skin so that we can stand firm and be the adult in the room. Let's pray for that. 
God, I know that I need this in my own life, and so I suspect there are many others who probably need this as well. I know that I failed in this area numerous times in my life, but I also know that I'm not nearly what I used to be, even though I'm not nearly what I will be one day. And so where I am starting right now today, I pray that you will help me and to help others who are interested in having you do this to them to just soften our hearts, tenderize our hearts the way your heart is tender, Help us to become tender about the right things and then give us that spiritual maturity so that we can exercise the fruit of the Spirit with gentleness and patience and kindness and forbearance and love and all those things that will help us to become the adult in the room so that we'll make a difference as we interact with the people who may come across to us as the crazy makers in our lives. Thank you for doing that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now point two and step two. Forgive even if they don't. Now, I've mentioned this on occasion, but it's still very, very true. When our hearts grow hard, like stone, our response to somebody is usually going to be, yeah, yeah, as soon as they give me an adequate apology, I'll forgive them. But usually, we have to wait a long time for that because a lot of people are not going to do that. When we take that approach, we're still hanging on to this weight of unforgiveness. I think there was a young man who's wise beyond his years that told me in a coffee chat about this illustration. And I'd say, I tried it this morning because I got out the milk to pour on my cereal, and it's a gallon of milk. It was a full gallon. Do you know how heavy a gallon of milk is when you hold it straight out? I was going to do that and try to hold out a gallon of milk and say, how long do you think you could hold this up? And I'm thinking, man, I don't know if I could go 10 seconds. This is heavy. Maybe I could do a minute. But I tried even just a coffee cup. If you hold just a coffee cup with 8 or 12 ounces, okay, 16 ounces of coffee, and you're holding this cup up there, you think, how long could you hold that up? Well, probably a long time, pretty long time. But you do that 5 minutes, 10 minutes, maybe an hour later, you know, things are getting kind of shaky, and you're thinking, I don't know if I can keep this up much longer. It takes a long time. So what do we do if we're waiting on somebody else to apologize before we're going to let go of some of that hurt? It's just we're holding on to the weight of that hurt. And the longer we hold on to it, the more we start to hurt as well. And what happens a lot of times is some of those crazy makers will never say, I'm sorry. Why? Because they don't know they did anything wrong. <laughs> they think that they've got nothing to apologize for. Some of the crazy makers might say, well, why was he so upset? That's just the way I am. Or I just tell the truth, and I was just telling the truth that everybody else was thinking. I just said it out loud. You know, you've heard the crazy makers like that. Or if they're just a steamroller, they're steamrolling over 12 other people by the time they've forgotten about you, and you're still holding on to that hurt. And you're getting tired of it because the weight of unforgiveness is just a killer. It will ruin your happiness. So when a crazy maker moves on, you know what our response should be? You know, I'm going to transfer ownership. I'm going to transfer the ownership of this hurt, and I'm just going to get rid of it because even if they never ask me for forgiveness, I'm going to forgive them anyway. And I'm just going to transfer ownership to God. And I'm going to say, God, I'm going to give you this situation because I know you know this person better than I know. And I told you to hang on to that story that I was going to tell you the remainder of it. Here it is. Aren't you glad you waited? <laughs> this guy had that motorcycle accident years later. I had finally arrived at the point when I thought, man, I'm still nursing this grudge. I'm still hanging on to it. I'm scratching that scab. All that stuff was going on. And I said, I need to release this, God. I'm tired of carrying this weight around. And so I just forgave him. 
And I forgave him long before he had his motorcycle accident, but when he had a motorcycle accident, he emerged a very different person. He was a kinder, gentler, more compassionate, considerate person than he was back when I knew him when I was working for him. I mean, he was a completely different kind of guy. God replaced that stony heart with a tender heart. And he was so empathetic with other people because he'd lived through some stuff that helped him identify with what other people might be going through as well. God used that trial in his life to just transform him. And because God's got a great sense of humor, God actually called him to become the pastor of the church I planted in Arizona. <laughs> and I'm still his friend to this very day. We got reconnected on Facebook, and we voyeur into each other's lives in good ways, and we comment on our grandkids and to see what's going on. He's got a son that planted a, helped plant a church up in Ireland, and he's having a great time over there. They're just loving it. So there's all this stuff that God can do for us, but it takes time. And what I realized was that I'm the one who has the choice. I have control over whether I'm going to hang on to that hurt or whether I'm just going to release it or not. You don't have to wait months. You don't have to wait years before you learn to release that or before you just choose to do that. You can do it immediately. You can even do it as you're being offended. How do we know that? Because that's what Christ did. He said, Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. What was happening when he said that? He was being crucified. He's hanging up there in agony, and they're literally casting lots or dice or something. They were gambling to see who's going to win his tunic so they didn't have to destroy it or tear it in half. And he's forgiving them in the midst of that, which means that as I'm being forgiven, I mean, as I'm being offended, I can forgive because I can pray, God, help me to have a tender heart and to love this person. I forgive them. Now, some conversations, you may have to pray that a dozen times. <laughs> Lord, I forgive them. I'm still forgiving them. I'm still forgiving them. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the patience because I'm still forgiving them. <laughs> oh, put it on my tab. Okay, just keep doing it, Lord. Give me enough forgiveness to keep forgiving this person so that you can be the adult in the room and exercise the fruit of the spirit with them it can happen it can happen and when we fail get back on he'll, he'll dust you off he'll pick you up he'll help you get better but many of the crazy makers in your life are not really even aware that they're making you crazy at the time they're doing that now here's the thing here's where I like to turn that finger around too if you have started to see some of these things in the five types that I've mentioned in yourself, oh, that means that I know without a doubt that in certain times with certain people, I have been making them crazy. I know I have. Which means that when the Holy Spirit reveals that to me and I realize, uh-oh, I feel like God's revealing right now to me that I fit into that category, <laughs> maybe that's a time for me to stop, pray, ask forgiveness, and back off a little bit to say, am I being loving and compassionate toward this person, or am I driving them crazy? So what happens if we're having a hard time forgiving a crazy maker? What do we do? We can remember that even though we were sinners, God forgave us. We were probably driving him crazy. Can you imagine what God must have been like? Even though we were still acting the way we acted before we were converted before we were regenerate we were probably driving him nuts and yet he forgave us anyway 
Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And those words, make allowances for, you know what that means in modern vernacular? Cut them some slack, man. Just cut them some slack. We need to cut each other some slack. Don't you want other people to cut you slack? Well, if that's going to happen, then you need to do that for them. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, Matthew 7, 5, 7. One way that we can cut people some slack is to make the choice to forgive them, even if they have not yet offered an apology or request to be forgiven. So we're going to just stop with those two. Let me wrap up with this. These first two steps. They should give us plenty to work on even just this week. Our homework is going to be to try to practice these first two steps, being the adult in the room, being mature enough to stand calmly, think objectively about what might be going on inside that person that would cause them to act this way right now. God, help me to forgive them even as they are offending me so that I can stand firmly and show them what grace looks like. I am God's love with skin on right now. I want to be Jesus to them. Help me to do that. And then also forgive people, even if they have not yet asked for forgiveness. Those two things are things we can practice this week. Now, I'm going to spend just a couple of moments making this introspective, so you can be thinking about some answers to some very personal questions. And then I'm going to pray for that, and we'll be done for today. First of all, have you thought about a crazy maker or somebody that probably you need to forgive as I've been talking about that? How long have you been holding on to unforgiveness? Just think about that for a minute. And how has this heaviness of hanging on to unforgiveness affected you? How has it made you feel? And how has it made you act? Have you seen any evidence in that other person that you're thinking about that they would like to apologize for that? And if not, do you think maybe they've moved on from that season when they were with you? when you got so offended? Are you ready to move on yourself into a future when you can let go of that weight of unforgiveness? Are you ready to transfer ownership into God's hands and into His care so that He can bring about some resolution in your own life and you can trust Him to deal justly with that other person even if you're not around to make that happen? Let's pray, and let's pray a prayer of forgiveness right now. God, I'm praying for all of us that if you have spoken to us through your Holy Spirit about somebody that we need to forgive, that we'll be doing that right now, that we'll let go of the weight of unforgiveness that we've been hanging on to for so long. And I pray that you'll help us to learn more and more about what it means like to be really trans formed, I mean completely transformed by your Holy Spirit's power so that our character quality starts to reflect your character and that we can be the adult in the room even when we're in the presence of a crazy maker. And I also pray that you'll help us to learn how to forgive sometimes even in the act of being offended that we will be immediately forgiving so that we can show them love and grace and what that looks like being fleshed out just like you did for us in Christ Jesus. 
And may we forgive others just the same way he forgave us. I thank you that you do that and that you bring about such good result when, we're enabled, when we are enabled by your Holy Spirit to just let go. And I pray we'll do that. And that this week will show a little difference. We'll be able to interact with people even differently after today. Because of your word and because of your Spirit's power, we're so appreciative, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which has promised every believer. And we want to walk in the Spirit this week. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.